You are listening to the Embassy Church Podcast, and here is today's message. We're going to start a new series this morning, and um, we're going to call it The Arts. The Arts, and not, not the kind of arts where we're going to talk about different mediums that we're using for, I don't know, painting. I know nothing about that kind of art. Katie does. She could come preach a sermon on it, I guess. But we're not talking about that, or we're not talking about the kind of arts where we're acting. I know about that kind of stuff. Um, but God began to talk to me at the beginning of the year about um, the art of compassion and the art of connection and the, and the art of conviction and, and all these things. So we're going to go into a sermon series about that, but we're going to do it through Nehemiah. And, and I've preached on Nehemiah before. I preached on Nehemiah. I'm not sure if it was a year ago or if it was two years ago. But a lot of you will remember it. Nehemiah is absolutely one of my favorite books of the Bible. I just, I affectionately go to it often. I just love it. And so at the beginning of the year, God began to talk to me um, and told me to go back to Nehemiah. And, and it was during a prayer one morning. And uh, funny how we are. I, I said, oh, I don't need to go to it. I know it. <laughs> so just talk to me through it. And... Um, but obviously I went to it and God began to open up um, more revelation to me, just deeper revelation. It was incredible. And so I'm going to start sharing it with you this morning. And so this morning we're going to talk about the art of compassion, the art of conviction, and the art of courage. These three go hand in hand. Um, so I'm going to read from Nehemiah, but just to give you a little bit of back for those of you that weren't um, with us when we talked about Nehemiah, whenever it was that we talked about it, uh, Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king, uh, meaning he had a very cushy life, I think. He um, worked for the king, so he probably got paid well, I'm assuming. He, what he would do is sip wine. I'm not sure if he sipped it all day. I don't know, but he would sip wine, make sure that it wasn't poisonous, and then give it to the king. That was his job. That was it. And it was a, it was a well-respected job. So I picture maybe he had really, you know, probably drove a Lamborghini or something like that and had really nice clothes. He probably wore Prada or I don't know, and probably lived in a really nice apartment or house or something like that. He had a good job. And so life was, I would think, pretty good for Nehemiah. That's me paraphrasing. You can't find that in the Bible, but that's kind of what I picture when I, when I read it. His job was good, but he was a Jew. And um, he, he grew up, he was born in a time where the Jews were in exile. And so this is the life that he knew. This was um, just how he grew up. But the Jews had been released out of exile back to Jerusalem. Their temple had been rebuilt, but their walls had not been rebuilt. Or, or, um, their walls had been, um, uh, it says, burned by fire. And so when your walls are down, um, obviously, for them, the city, when the city walls are down, that means that the enemy can come in at any given time and rob them, steal from them, whatever, right? Burn more stuff down. They can, they're just open to the enemy to come in at any time. So it's not a safe place for them. And so Nehemiah, though, is separated from it. Um, but this is where we pick up. So he's, he's telling us a story. He says, these are my memoirs, meaning this is my, this is my journal or my autobiography where, I, where, where he's laying out for us everything that began to happen from this point on. So he says in, in chapter one, he says, in late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King, I don't know, Exertius, 
reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Not good. The walls are down, the gates have been destroyed by fire. And, and as I began to read this, I couldn't help but draw a parallel between the church and Jerusalem right now. That, they, that there were walls down. That there were places where the enemy had entrance in to the church. That they had been in exile, then they came out, but things are still not good. And so I'm going to say some things today that are probably going to bring a lot of conviction because it did even to my own heart to check it. But I want, I want to say this is not to bring condemnation. It's not to speak against. It's not coming from that kind of place at all. It's coming from a place of, hey, church, we need to check ourselves. We need to evaluate where we're at. And so I began to look at this. I started to think about some hot words, some words that were really hot in 2020, even into 2021. And one of them being this, the church has left the building. The church is, and we're all like, hallelujah, yes, the church has left the building. Meaning that, that the church isn't just a building, that we are the church and we've left the building. We're not just Sunday mornings, right? Like that's just not who we are, we're the church. And, and so I began to think this, if, if that's the case, if the church, us, me being the church, you being the church, remember this, the church is not the pastor and the elders, the church is the body of Christ. That is every single person that comes into the kingdom of God, that accepts Christ as their savior and comes into the kingdom of God, you then become the church. Not embassy, not to be the body you're called to, but the church is the body of Christ. And so if the church has left the building, if that's the case and we're all hallelujahing it, where is the sound of the church right now in the earth? Where's the sound? And maybe let me step on some toes. What is the sound of the church supposed to be? Is it supposed to be fighting? For what you believe? Fighting for things that you hold on to? I'm not saying that we don't fight at some point in time, but did God say? Or did you hear it from somebody else? What's the sound being heard on the earth today from the church if the church has left the building? Here's another hot one. I, I said it myself. I even had it intercession in my own prayer time. This is a good thing. So is the church has left the building. That's a good, it's a good thing. 
But it's not just a saying. It's supposed to be a movement, meaning a moving forward. So here's another one. That it's time for the church to wake up. That God began to call in 2020 for the church to wake up. Another one. Church, arise. Another one. That he would breathe on dry bones. Guys, listen to this. That's a nice thing to say. It's a godly thing. It's the word of God. It's great. It's awesome. And I know that it was the spirit of God on it. But if that's the case, something was wrong. If, the, if God was calling for the church to wake up, something is wrong. It's not just a nice saying where we feel good. Yes, wake up church. Yes, arise. That means it's time for the church to wake up. Something went wrong where the church was asleep. And I, I'm not talking, this isn't a message of talking about fighting the government. It's talking about evaluating our own lives as have I stepped into place as the church. You know, when Jesus was talking to Peter and Peter said, you are the son of God. And Jesus says, that's the revelation, Peter, that I will build my church. And he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When he said that, that word church meant his governing legislative assembly, that there would be a body of Christ on the earth that would walk around as the governing legislative assembly. That they, that they would govern things in the spirit. See, here's the thing, is we're still busy fighting one another. We're still busy looking at people in government and pointing their finger, our fingers at them and saying, they're the problem. They are not the problem. There is a spirit that we fight. The Bible says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against darkness, against powers of the air. But we are still looking with our carnal minds and our natural minds and saying, I see they're the problem. When we should be doing battle in the spirit. Pray, praying in the spirit, we should, be, we should be found more on our knees than we should be talking against other people. God, the church has left the building. What are they doing? Still fighting for our Sunday mornings. I'm not against gathering together, obviously. Not a, that's biblical. We should be gathering together. That should be what we're doing. But the church doors aren't closed. Meaning the building Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, we gather. We gather online, we gather. But see, we, we have this thing of we, we want God, we want, we want what he's doing, but we want it what it looked like. That's not my notes, so let's go on to my notes. <laughs> but it's on my heart nonetheless, I know I know that we need to evaluate where, where are we at? What am I fighting for? Is that God? What voices am I listening to? Is that God? If I'm looking for a word 
from anybody else. I'm not saying that those things are bad, but if I'm after a word from somebody else before I'm after a word from God himself, that's dangerous. It's dangerous. I don't care how well esteemed those people are. So let's go to Nehemiah. Back at it, so, so, the, so his brothers are saying, the wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And Nehemiah says, when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days, I mourned, I fasted, I prayed to the God of heaven. He, he hears this and suddenly he's like, whoa, what? He's taken back. Suddenly something happens to him that he, is, he, he, he can barely walk. He sits down, he cries, he, he prays, and he says, and he's fasting. Fasting's not fun. I've done it. It's not a fun time. All of a sudden, he's pulled into this, and he says, in fact, for days, for days, what happened? Compassion. Compassion. Compassion always leads you to do something. Compassion literally means to suffer together. Together. So I looked it up and emotional researchers, this is how they define compassion. It's the feeling that arises when you are confronted with another suffering and then you are motivated to relieve it. In other words, you do something. But then they said this, compassion is not the same as empathy or sympathy. They are maybe related, their concepts are related, but it's not the same thing. So I looked up empathy. Empathy is the ability to sense others' emotions coupled with the ability to ma imagine what someone else might be thinking or feeling. As a lot of us know this, right? You walk into a room and you're like radar, right? I see you. There's something wrong with that person. I can tell they're hurting right? Empathy. And then I can imagine immediately, oh, I, I feel what they're going through. I, I can imagine what's happening. Not the same as compassion. Sympathy. Sympathy is to feel sorry for someone who is in a bad situation because you understand the person's problem. In other words, um, someone's experiencing loss of a loved one. I would have sympathy because I know what that feels like. Someone's gone through a divorce and you've gone through a divorce. You have sympathy because you know exactly what that feels like to walk through that. You have sympathy for the person, not the same thing as compassion. And I think that in the church today, we've had empathy, we've had sympathy, and we've called it compassion. But it's not compassion if you're not moved to do something. Compassion moves you. Compassion means you suffer together with someone. And so God began to talk to me about compassion. I know we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. But God began to talk to me about compassion. I said, God, what does compassion look like to you? What, what would that look like to you? And, and, he, and he showed me a picture, reminded me of a picture of when your child comes home and they've been hurt by somebody. And I'm not talking like he stole my toy kind of hurt. You know the kind of hurt where you know that, they, that a piece of them has been taken. That like gut-wrenching pain. And they begin to tell you about it and suddenly a piece of you feels like it's been taken too. 
And, and suddenly you are concerned about the whole situation. You're doing everything that you can to try to keep them whole, to try to talk them through it. And, and it concerns you. It's something heavy throughout the rest of your day. You're carrying the weight of it. You also want to go find the person that hurt them and smack them around a little bit. Like you, 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 you want to do something. You're in the middle of it. You're like, I'm hurt. You're hurting. I'm hurting too. God says that's compassion where you are, where, where someone, where, where you, you feel something so deeply that it becomes you that suffers as well and you get in the middle of it with it that's compassion Jesus had compassion he was moved to get into the middle of situations compassion Colossians 3 verse 12 says therefore as God's chosen people holy and dearly loved clothe yourself with compassion Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. God's people, this is what you clothe yourself in. He showed me a vision, same, same time. And he showed me this little child and uh, walking around, this little kid's walking around in, in my vision and, and he's saying, Mom, Mom, he's lost. Mom, mom. And like, this isn't just a mother. This is any adult, right? You see a little kid by themselves calling out because they're lost. You stop. You just do. That's just what you do. Your heart immediately goes. It's like, okay, I got you. I'm going to take care of you. We're going to find your mom. You console them. You take them into your care and you carry them with you until you find the parent. That's what you do. That's what we do. We have compassion on that child. And so I see this in this vision, this little kid crying out, mom, 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 lost. And God says, that's what I hear all day long. My, my kids calling out, I'm lost, I'm lost, I'm lost, I'm lost. And he says, and I put my church, I put my church there. I put you there to go get them, take care of them, and bring them back to me. I don't want to miss what I wrote down when he showed me this. He said, the cries are so loud because they're so lost and they're so scared. My church is to be the ones that stop and help, but they've turned a deaf ear. They made the harvest about themselves, about something that would benefit them rather than the cries that are going up. about we made the harvest oh the harvest is coming praise the lord it's gonna be a big church and just gonna make us look so good just, we'll probably get popular <laughs> it'll look like god's real his favors on us when the harvest shows up what meanwhile The sound that God hears is, I'm lost, Dad, Dad. Where's our compassion? 
He said, everywhere you look, cries all around. They're crying out because they're so lost. Church, this is your commission. Listen, stop, take them in your care. Help them find their way back to me. Understand what it really means to be moved by compassion because Jesus was moved to compassion for you because he understood what you were separated from. Do we understand that the world is separated from him? I have a couple stories. One that came to me today when I was talking with Sean, but I'll start with the bad one first. <laughs> There's this lady, and I just, I, I've known her for years, and she's a street lady, and I love her. I love her so much. Like, she, like I dream about her. She's literally my heart. And one day, I, I, There's been many times, there's been many times where I've dreamt about her and, and then I've been preaching middle, ser- middle of a sermon and I've watched her walk in the room like, God, I just know it's this connection, I love her. But this one day, I was coming to the church, it was a Saturday, um, we had a, there was just a lot going on, there was a lot of, just a lot of hard things that were going on. And uh, I was coming to meet some people here for a quick meeting, but it was a serious meeting. It was a heavy meeting, and, and I was just kind of focused on it. And my son was with me, and we were driving up. And uh, I, I, I go to pull in to the parking lot here, and I see her. I see this woman that I, that I love. And I said to my son, oh, there she is. But then immediately I'm like, I don't have time for this. I, I don't, I just, I don't have the capacity to carry this right now. And so I drove around the block. She was in the parking lot. Nobody was here at the church. She was just walking through the parking lot. And I drove around until she left the parking lot. And uh, came back, got out, got into, the, got into the church. And I went to the office and I, I sat down. And I was getting ready, and my son was just doing his thing. And he, come, he comes in, his face just red, just like, I don't know, like he saw God or something, like red, serious face. And he said, Mom, do you think that God brought her to the parking lot on purpose? I think that was God, Mom. What if we missed her? What if she dies today? And I knew it was God talking. And I said, we'll go, we'll go look for her after this. You're right. You're right. We'll go look for her after this. And so I finished the meeting. We drove around and around and around, and I couldn't find her. And for months, for months, I didn't see her. And my son would say, let's pray for her again, Mom. Let's pray for her again. What if? Gosh. Have we become so busy? that we won't let God interrupt our time? Have we become so concerned about our, our agendas, 
building our own empires, I don't know, just our own businesses, our own family life, our own, all of the things that we've just been building and wanting and desiring. And if we've been going after all of those things that we don't allow the compassion of God to kick into our lives, that we would stop for a moment and reach out to somebody. Another time, and I, I know I've shared this story with you, but I'm driving to school. Something about the church parking lot and me, I don't know. But I'm driving to pick up Judah from the school. I come down the street and, and uh, I see a little boy. I lock eyes with this little boy. And uh, he's holding a guitar in his hand, just standing there. And he's just straight face, stares me right in the eye. And I kind of assess the situation quickly. I see a mom and there's bags everywhere, just all over the ground. And she's jumping from bag to bag. And, and uh, I, I kind of like strange, I'm not sure what's going on. And I just, whatever, I drive into the parking lot, but I just, there's this pull, there's those eyes. I just, and so I turn back out and I pull up and I undo my window and I said to the mom, like, is there something that I can help you with? Are you, are you okay? And, and, and she's muttering stuff, and this story kind of is rambling all over the place. And, and I'm like, okay, okay, you know. And she says, there's a cab coming. I got to go. I got to get out of here. And I'm like, okay, is there something that I can help you with right now? Is there somewhere you need to go? And she says, I need you to watch my stuff. I'm like, okay, I'll watch your stuff. And she says, I got to go get more stuff. I said, okay. And so she goes to leave, and she says to her son, stay here with her. And so she leaves. And so there, I'm in my car, and uh, I have my cute little dog welder with me. And uh, he's standing there with his guitar, and he's just staring. And I said, do you want to pet my dog? And he's, yeah, I'm like, okay. And so he's not saying anything, and he's petting my dog. And my heart's breaking, just the look in this kid's eyes. And I said, are you okay? And he says, no, it's like 10 years old. No, I didn't know what to do. And so not appropriate, because you wouldn't normally do this unless you were led by compassion. I said, do you need a hug? And this kid doesn't know me. He says, yeah, that's it. I need a hug. I'm like, okay. So I get out of my car. And I come around my car, and there's this little 10-year-old, eyes shut, arms open, like, just hold me, just somebody, somebody hold me. And so I grab him, and we just hold each other. We just, I got nothing. I got nothing that I can say. This is all that I can give him. And we hold each other, and his mom comes back, and he's awkward. He backs up and maintains his strong composure. And so the cab shows up and we start loading the stuff into the car. <sighs> and as he goes to get into the car, all I could say was, God sees you. This moment, God sees you. And he got into the car and he drove away. And I don't share that story to, to pat myself on the back because obviously you heard another story that's not that great. <laughs> but compassion moves us. 
Are we moved with compassion? Are we recognizing that everywhere around us are lost little boys, no matter what age they are, lost little boys, lost little girls in their 40s, their 50s, their 60s, just standing there. Somebody, anybody. But we've turned inward. We've turned inward. We're so concerned about this, about our comfort, about what our church services make us feel and think and and the music that we like and the people that we like that have we forgotten about the art of compassion that moved Jesus to the cross? And then the other thing is compassion for one another for each other, for the body of Christ, the people that he's connected us to. Your body isn't supposed to fight against each other, yet we're talking about each other. We keep talking about each other. He called us an army. He called us an army. What kind of army stands together and eats each other alive? We're doing it with our words judging each other, talking about each other. I'm sick of it. I hear it all the time. And I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm not guilty or haven't been a part of it, but listen to me. This has to stop. Church, we have to stop hating on one another. They are the people that God placed us together. Stop talking about people. Stop talking about people and pretend that you've laced it with the word of God because you care so much. Compassion means you suffer with one another. Oh, I can't listen to that person. I just feel they irritate me. Stop. Stop. If there's really something going on in that someone's life and you can see it and you pick it up, it's not them. Pray. But understand that your words, in James 4 or James 5, one of, the, one of those chapters, it actually talks about people backbiting, the body of Christ backbiting one another, talking about one another because they're fighting for their own way. Because they want what they want. You know, that disgusts God. Why are we partnering something? Why are we partnering with the enemy? to cause disunity, to break us apart. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, because of this, encourage the hearts of your fellow believers and support one another. Your words, when you speak against, even just in the slightest, you're cursing people. Stop. Church, Stop. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you, be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Ephesians 4.1 says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Jude 22, and on some, have compassion, making a difference.
compassion for the world around us, compassion for substance. I don't think we'll have unity if we continue to talk about each other. And that's a dangerous thing. Coming to your own conclusions, speaking against. Stop. Pray. And then the next thing he, Nehemiah, is the conviction. Conviction, and I'm not talking about the conviction of the Holy Spirit like right now. It's conviction where it's an unshakable belief, belief in something without need for proof or evidence. A firmly held belief. You can't shake it. Of a conviction, I can't shake it. I think of when, when I became, before I became pastor, two years before, when, when God said to me, you're going to pastor the church. And, and it wasn't anything on my radar, it wasn't what I wanted, but as soon as it began to take place, as soon as he said it, there became a conviction in my life that I couldn't shake it. It didn't matter. It didn't matter what was going on. It's like, God, I know that something happened inside of me, this conviction that happened that I was called for this thing. And we see this in Nehemiah. Look, Nehemiah 2, he says, um, this is chapter two. Early in the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Xerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. There's a conviction. I can't shake it. I can't change. This is how I feel. I'm carrying people. I have a conviction. Conviction could be used as the word commission. I have a commissioning. And just as God commissioned me to be pastor, there is something so much deeper than that. And that is the commission that he gave to every single one of us that was go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go. Go make disciples. Go. It's our commissioning. It should be affecting all that we are. We should wake up in the morning with this commissioning, this conviction that says, this is what I'm here for. I came into the kingdom, born into such a time as this. If you're in the kingdom right now, you were born for this time. This is your moment. So you come into the kingdom with your commissioning, with your conviction that says, go. And this is what the church has done. Wait. Wait. Wait for them to come. Wait, wait for the harvest. Wait for the glory of God. Wait, wait, wait. Wait for someone else to do something. Wait. This is, that was not your commission. Your commission was go, go. That means that when I wake up in the morning, God, I'm headed to work today. I'm ready to go. Wherever you are, this, is, this was not a word for pastors was the word for you. You're my disciples. Go. 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 Get up. Go. Everywhere you go, I'm at Walmart. I'm going. I'm going. Who is it? Where are they? 
I'm on a commission every moment of every day. I'm on a commission. I have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Go. No more waiting around. Church, no more waiting around. I pray that we hear, I pray that we hear that, that the sound of the cries, that they haunt us. That we stop making this about us. Because we do. God, I'm, I'm preaching to myself. I'm, we do. We make it about us. I want this. I need this. I go to this. I work about this. My retirement. My, and we get concerned about all these things that God says, oh, wait, did you miss the verse that says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added unto you. But we've changed it to seek these things first. And then I'll add to the kingdom once I've got it. It's backwards. It's backwards. The last one, because I'm going over time, I swear it's because Charity sings too long. Courage. The act of courage. So, so the king asks him this question, right? And he looks sad. He can't help it. And so the king's like, what's the matter with you? And this is how he replies. Then I was terrified, but I replied. Then I was terrified, but I replied. Courage. Courage moved in. Compassion, conviction, and courage, they go hand in hand. In fact, I'm going to read you a saying. It doesn't talk about conviction, but this is a saying. It says, courage and compassion are two sides of the same coin. Compassion without courage is not genuine. You must have compassion. You may have a compassionate thought or impulse, but if you don't do or say anything, it's not real compassion. Compassion is what moves you, and courage is what happens when you step out. Compassion. is that gut-wrench thing that I, I got to do something about this. I, and as you begin to take that step, it's courage, courage that steps in. See, we're just waiting. We just keep waiting when God says, no, go. When you go, when you're moved, when you go, boom, courage. When God says, go, you see that person? Go lay hands on them. There's not courage in that moment. Anyone ever had that happen to them? I could tell you another story real quick. There was, I remember when Sobeys was here, and I think I was telling the youth this the other day. When Sobeys was around, um, I walked in. I wasn't even expecting it. And I saw this man. He's, he was loading fruit. He worked for Sobeys. And I heard God say, go over to him and tell him that I love him so much. Easy word. Like, who, who are you even going to offend, right? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't know about that, God. I don't know if I, I don't know if I want to, right? And so then you start doing like the loops around the grocery store, just like, well, if watermelons fall, then I will go say to him, right? And I'm doing it, doing it, and I don't do it, and then I can't find him, and then I'm looking for him frantically because I can't find him. And and I leave. I I couldn't find him, and and that 
that haunted me for days and days and days. Probably a week and I go into a restaurant and, and I see him and he's sitting with another pastor. And I'm like, thank God someone's reaching him, but I had a word. But it's in that place where God says, I want you to do this. It's where compassion hits you. Recognizing that this is what I'm born for. This is my conviction, my commission. This is the conviction. When God says, do that, I go because that's the conviction. That's what I'm born for. It's why I'm here. I go. And the moment that I step out, I got to step out. The moment that I do it, that's where courage comes in. And when courage comes in, you'll see the favor of God. But it has to go to the place of, okay, I'm doing it. Church, it's time for us to, okay, I'm doing it. I'll stop looking about me. I'm going to pick up that conviction of this is who I am. If I've come into the kingdom, I do the king's business. That's my number one. It's my number one. I do the king's business. Lastly, I'm just going to read the footnotes of Proverbs 24 in the Passion says this. If you faint when you're under pressure, you have need of courage. Go and rescue the perishing. Be their savior. Why would you stand back and watch them stagger to their death? And why would you say, but it's none of my business? The one who knows you completely and judges your every motive is also the keeper of souls and not just yours they're his souls they're all his souls he sees through your excuses and holds you responsible for failing to help those whose lives are threatened Jesus the footnotes of it says it like this your strength is limited our weakness often becomes an excuse to quit but strength and courage come as the result of faithfulness under pressure. In other words, you do it anyway. Strength and courage comes when you do it anyway. But look at this. If you fail to help others in their time of need, you will grow weak. You will grow too weak to help yourself. Okay, if you fail to help others in their time of need, you will grow too weak to help yourself. Remember that the kingdom is backwards, right? The kingdom of God is upside down, backwards kingdom, right? You, you want to receive, then you should give, right? That's backwards. It's backwards than what the world knows. You should forgive and you should pray for your enemies. No, the world would say you should get rid of your, cut them off. No, the kingdom of God is upside down, backwards. And so here it says that if you're not helping others, you grow too weak to help yourself. I wonder, I wonder if part of the reason that the church fell asleep is we grew too weak because we became about ourselves. That it became about us our agendas, 
the things we want to fight for. Some of us are still holding on to what was yesterday. I just want, I just want what was last, I, I just want what was last year. I want that back. And we're holding on to things instead of fighting for what God wants us to fight for. We, we have this fight in us. It's like, I think we were meant, I think we were meant to fight for something. But are we fighting for the right thing? Like, if, we're, if, we're, if we want to fight the government, okay, about the churches being shut down, let me ask this question. Are you first fighting for the souls? Are you doing your part right now Right now, or are you just fighting for open doors so that you can sit and wait instead of go and be the church? God, help us. God, renew a right spirit in us. God, renew a right spirit in us. Teach us, Father. Enlarge our hearts so that we have greater compassion, not empathy, not just sympathy, but compassion that moves us for what moves you. Let us fight for the things that you are fighting for. Let us see, let us hear the people that are crying out. Forgive us, Father. Forgive us, Father, for every single time that we walked past those that were crying out because we had our own agendas. Father, that we would be the church that wakes up to this, that there is a world out there. You said that the harvest is ready and the harvest is ripe. that there would be a conviction, a commission that happens right now in the inside of us that picks up what you have called us to do, to do the king's business, to be about our father's business. That we wouldn't see our jobs or our children or our families as hindrances. but the very vein that we could flow through. And I thank you just as you said to Joshua to be strong, be courageous, don't be discouraged, for I am with you. God, that we would pick up that mantle that you've called us for this time And so your strength and your courage is with us. For Father, forgive us for the times that we've spoken against our brothers and sisters. Holy Spirit, every time that something rises up in us that we go to speak, put a watch over our mouth that we aren't able to do it. Check us. And don't let the spirit of deception come in and say that it's okay. 
Holy Spirit, show us it's not okay. For the church to come up higher, for us to come up higher, we say yes. Church, right now, wherever you are, we say yes. Yes, yes, we pick up the commission. Yes, we take on a heart of compassion. We will be like Jesus. We will follow in his footsteps. And Father, when you say go, we will go. We say yes. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Sean, I love you guys. I'm so sorry for preaching so long, but I had to. You know what I'm saying? Now, it's a beautiful day, so... Go listen to the message again and go for a walk. <laughs> I love you guys. For more information about Embassy Church, visit our website at embassychurch.ca.